All right, this is Alan and Leon. Welcome to the Seize the Moment podcast. And today we're going to talk to you about what inspires you, who inspires you, who's inspired us. Yeah. yeah. And welcome to episode six. I can't believe it's already episode six. Actually, yeah. Uh, Mark White last week was, was awesome. Yeah. Um, talking to him about superheroes, uh, Batman, Captain America, the thing. Mm-hmm. Got me to thinking, actually, about um, different figures in pop culture. Mm-hmm. And not even pop culture, even even things that are kind of underground. Yeah. The things that inspire us and that inspire people in general. Like stories, music, books, all, all across the spectrum. And actually, uh, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, what inspires you and maybe also talk about what inspires me too, Mm -hmm. and maybe see if any of those things kind of resonate maybe with our audience, and maybe if they'll find inspiration in that, and maybe it could influence them to do all kinds, all sorts of things. And there's actually, uh, why I wanted to talk about this is, there's actually things about you I don't even know. <laughs> that is very. I'm actually genuinely interested in mm-hmm. knowing what has inspired you to become who you are. Like as a psychotherapist mm-hmm. right now, you you also opened up your own uh, office yeah. recently, which is very like a big step. Yeah. And it's really interesting, like from the outside to watch this, and mm-hmm. I'm like, what makes someone into who they are? What are the influences? What are the things that they kind of go through that? Mm-hmm. Um, brings them to where they're at yeah so i mean as i'm sure you guys at this point know which is not a secret right that sort of alan and i were broadcasted on the o4l online network Mm -hmm. so which is the home of the outlaws the hip-hop legends the group that tupac shakur founded Mm -hmm. and so when i kind of think of let's say well first let me just talk about the sort of practical things that inspire me or the practical people definitely my friends definitely my family Right, so the thing is, one of the major reasons why I was able to open up the office was because literally all of you guys. Because at first I was completely terrified. I was like, there's no way that this fucking thing is ever going to happen. And so kind of little by little through your encouragement that, you know, kind of gave me the strength to actually go out on my own and figure, you know, whatever, what's the worst that can happen? And so, but but in terms of the kind of social safety net that we have and the social network that we have, I think that's the most important thing, right? Sort of outside of the particular stories and the particular figures who kind of help us lead better lives. Because I think more so than anything are sort of I think I said this in that episode that we did on self-sabotage where sort of our own heroes are not necessarily ourselves or even like let's say kind of um, let's say cultural figures but a lot of times they're the people in our lives but kind of going back to sort of you know the more kind of pop culture figures so it's definitely Tupac Shakur and so what I often think about especially when let's say I'm going through a difficult time is this poem called The Rose That Grew From Concrete and so for me that's one of my favorite poems and literally one of sort of the best things I've ever read in the entire world and so Tupac talks about this sort of this um, let's say this scenario or rather kind of this environment right that's essentially I mean it's a ghetto right so it's an environment where essentially nothing good comes out of or at least seemingly so and so then you know sort of people kind of walk by and essentially they notice this sort of rose right and it's a little bit tilted it has sort of uh, let's say kind of broken petals right it's sort of tilted and crooked and tilted to the side Mm -hmm. and so and he talks about the fact that you know kind of people walk by and for like a split second they're sort of amazed by it but then they're like "Mm, but look at the way it looks right it's actually not that beautiful if you actually look at it and so the way Tupac describes it is he's like you guys are like you're not seeing the beauty in it the fact that a rose a fucking rose can grow out of the sidewalk out of the concrete is one of the most amazing and beautiful things in the world the fact that it has this sort of will to reach the sun is incredible because it's so impossible and probably and likely improbable too right obviously is that like allegorical to what it's 
pro- I mean, I don't. I can't imagine what it's like to live in the ghetto. Yeah. But does the concrete probably represent the ghetto, and the rosebud is probably him? Yeah, I mean, it's him and it's everybody else, right? It's sort of everybody who's sort of come out that situation. And so what was so beautiful about the poem is that it's not necessarily about... He's not saying, like, this is me, right? And I want you guys to sort of marvel at me. He's saying, saying like, no, this is, like, literally all of us who've sort of risen up at the slums, as he said in one of his songs. You know, it's about all of us who kind of came out and came from this situation that, in terms of kind of probability, told us that there was no possible way that you can ever be anything, let's say, anything special, anything that has anything to do with being successful. And so for him, the rose in the south, right, that even though it is sort of hard, right, and it, has, <coughs> and it has been sort of hardened by life, and maybe it isn't the sort of most kind of polished thing in the world or the most polished object, the fact that it is still a rose, right, it's as broken and as damaged as it is, that's how incredible it is. It doesn't matter that it, is, that it isn't perfect, right, that's not the point. The point is that it wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place, and yet somehow it managed to rise up. That just struggling to kind of grow in that environment that normally w- it wouldn't be able to grow in. Yeah. That, that is pretty interesting, yeah. Um, for me, uh, since we're talking about music, which is interesting, uh, I think about, okay, well, some of my favorite music was like pe- back in the day, like Linkin Park. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of a group called Apocalyptica? No. Um, they're cool. They're, they're like they're like this uh, instrumental group. They use like violins, guitar. It's kind of like a metal kind of sound to it. Mm-hmm. And I remember back in the day, I would, I would just listen to them, and and this is instrumental. There's no words, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like a like a poem that translates translates like a meaning that way. Mm-hmm. But when I listen to that, it would like build up these feelings. Like I get goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I feel like really good. And like during the times in my life when things weren't so great so mm-hmm. to speak I listened to music like that and it would put me in a in a great space like a real a really really great space um, where uh, anything I did from that space mm-hmm. um, it, it basically helped me to, to act sometimes yeah. like things like that or when I think about uh, movies yeah, uh, well, and going back... Oh, I do have a question for you. Yeah. So, were there any particular lyrics that inspired you? That sort of you look back on and you're like, wow, man, like there were times in my life where I could go back I'm to so this... I'm so happy you asked. <laughs> I'm go so back happy to this you song. asked. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, so, have you ever heard of Disturbed? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, wow. There were... Now, I'm trying to think of specific lyrics. Um, okay, there's this one song. From uh, not Disturbed's latest album, mm-hmm. not uh, I believe it's called Evolution. Yeah. The one before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I'm blanking on the name, but that's fine. If somebody wants to look it up, they could figure it out. Mm-hmm. There's this one song, uh, and I'm so happy I could remember this because I was struggling for a second there. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, uh, "Who Taught You How to Hate." Mm-hmm. And there's like uh, there's this uh, there's this line in there. Um, uh, I'm not gonna sing it, but they're like, um, oh. Oh, who who taught you how to hate? Yeah. Uh, it's it's not in your blood. Mm-hmm. It's not a part of what you're made. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then let this be understood. And he says it like very powerfully. Mm-hmm. And like when I first heard that, I got uh, one. I got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Two. I I really resonated with that. I was like, yeah, we're not. Uh, I mean, are we born hating? Mm-hmm. I mean. You can argue this, I'm sure, and you could say, uh, I'm sure somebody uh, 
could wax about uh, genetics and maybe say maybe some people are genetically predisposed to mm -hmm. anger and this and that mm -hmm. uh, more so than some others. Well, not necessarily hate though. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, back to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's like making a statement. It's like we're not born hating. It's something that we're taught. Right. And that is very interesting because it, it makes you think about, well, then if that's what we're taught, what else can we teach? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that song is almost telling you um, that statement. And so when I when I uh, hear it, I'm thinking, okay, if if you could teach someone how to hate, you could teach them conversely. Inversely, love. rather, mm -hmm. how to love, yeah, um, and kind of brings me back to probably why we do this uh, podcast and why I uh, post some stuff on, let's say, Ego Ends Now, mm -hmm. uh, or or with your uh, blog. It's it's like you're putting something out there that's how do I put this? It feels like it. it this may not be correct, but it feels like a lot of the things that are in the mainstream, like when we think about the news or something like that, I, for some reason my mind goes straight to the news. Mm -hmm. I think well, there's a lot of negativity, and mm -hmm. a lot of negativity is kind of what grabs our attention, right? right. right? Mm -hmm. And yes, that does have to do with a lot of uh, psychological triggers, and there's a reason why marketers use that negative aspect uh, to to attract us and grab our attention. Fair enough. But from the other side, I feel like we're inundated too much with negativity right. and not enough good positive sources mm -hmm. that, that perhaps when, when those are explored, it brings out the, mm -hmm. the better angels of our nature, right. as so, Steven Pinker would say. So it's like yeah. you're saying that the kind of, maybe unintentionally, obviously, or involuntarily, that the media gives us reasons, right? If even implicit to hate other people, right? Through their sort of news stories and the cycles of news stories. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, plus, it's almost, uh, well, it's like we have this uh, mechanism already in us that separates um, us either uh, into tribes mm -hmm. or by uh, race, uh, creed, uh, color, uh, preferences, things like that. And that's something, yeah, we naturally have in us, but plus that that aspect of uh, what is taught yeah. is kind of what creates our society or individuals as right. well. So, um, yeah, like these these uh, these stories or uh, music. Uh, it's it's interesting how uh, when we put that kind of stuff out there, it can really uh, change the the mind of an individual or the mind of um, well. Uh, it depends how much influence they have, but potentially of a you know of a collective, right. whether it's a society, country, state, mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting because I think genetically speaking that we have a predisposition to categorize, right? Like people, things, you name it. But I don't necessarily think that, like you know, kind of we were talking about that the hate itself is learned, right? Maybe the fear isn't because we also tend to think, or let's say we tend to fear things that are not known to us. But I mean, it's obviously argued elsewhere that that's where the hate stems from. But there's obviously kind of this idea where this reality that the hate is also fostered or fueled right by kind of let's say your your elders in the group 
And so, interestingly enough, I don't know if you knew this, but so uh, Tupac had this concept, right? And so, this idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going back to something I did in one of our episodes. Like, this concept, this, this idea. Yeah. So, he had this, this sort of um, this moniker, right? He called it Thug Life. And so, the way kind of like, let's say, mainstream media kind of, let's say, understood it or the way the politicians at the time understood it was the symbol of hate, right? Thug Life, right? Like, I'm this person who wants to sort of do harm, right? Because maybe some harm was done to me or maybe just because I'm reckless and careless but the point is that there was actually an acronym and you know what it stood for no what the hate you give little infants fucks everyone what yeah yeah that's what was so fucking cool about wow uh-huh wow yeah wow so okay so that's where okay now that you said the hate you give yeah uh wasn't there like a documentary or a the book? movie? Yes, movie? the Angie Thomas book that was turned into a movie, The Hate You Give. So that was based on pretty much in great wow. part on Tupac Shakur's music. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay, see, you learn things every day. I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I mean, for him, the understanding was that, like, and it, and this sort of goes back to even James Baldwin, right? Mm-hmm. Where when we talk about the ghetto and we talk about sort of people's upbringings and their environments, I mean, even kind of like, let's say, studies of race, right, which I'm obviously in no way an expert on, but they tell you that, let's say, after slavery, the idea was that certain people were segregated, obviously, into these communities where there weren't many jobs, right, if any at all, where there wasn't sort of any great education or any sort of foundation for, let's say, a positive or, let's say, um, for a good school system, right, kind of for lack of a better term. And so for them, right, they kind of really didn't have many other options outside of like, let's say, like selling drugs, right, kind of, let's say, stealing, doing any other sorts of illegal activities. And so the point was that if you kind of take this concept of the hate you give and you apply it to those environments, the idea was that as a society and as a culture, more more importantly, as a country, we gave these people this hate, right, by sort of segregating them and sort of by telling them to fend for themselves. And then we wonder why they come back and they do these things that you know at some point or to some extent might be horrible right which is not to obviously say that a good amount of them or a good amount of people in the ghetto right I grew up in the projects right and I can tell you most of the people that I knew there weren't bad people but then we kind of asked this question of like oh well why are some people like let's say from those ghettos or from those communities like that and I mean we have nobody else to look for or look toward but ourselves and but this country and the way it's been structured right and then on top of that when let's say you do have like a vast number of people who do try to do good and do try to sort of go back and live their lives and let's say just try to kind of get by and support their families what happens is is they experience discrimination on all sorts of levels right from kind of when you go and look at the sort of the police and you look at the sort of the precincts the way they're treated even let's say in potential in offices of potential employers right so it's like they get a sense of this sort of hopelessness and so for Pac what he talked about was and why he wrote his music was he said I really am doing this for the kid who's living a thug life and feels like it's hopeless so he's like for the music that's sort of popular right or rather not even that the music that sort of that is popular but it's not meant sort of just to be popular in itself per se it's meant to have this strong message he said look the regular person is going to pick it up and he's be like wow yo this shit is hot right I'm going to listen to it right I'm gonna bump this right and then he's gonna move on to something else but for the kid that the song resonates with which for me was me obviously Mm -hmm. right for him that song is gonna stick with them and they're gonna be able to do something with it they're gonna be able to take that message and use it to inspire themselves or they're gonna be inspired by that message to live a better life and to sort of be more fulfilled and live 
let's say the more hopeful way but the point was that like for the music it was meant to be for those people who were downtrodden and this was the same story with like johnny cash right why he wrote man in black which a song which i absolutely love he said i wrote this for the poor and the being down living in the hopeless hungry side of town right, right. because for a lot of these people without this music they had nothing else right if you kind of go back to the 18th century when people wrote let's say, um, you know, kind of what were at the time riveting novels. They didn't write novels about poor people. They wrote them about the aristocracies of the time. And it was the same thing with music, right? For the most part, music didn't talk about these things for a very long time, at least. And then when there was a message for people who were, let's say, you know, not the cream of the crop of society, it was like, whoa, like, holy shit, not only is this person listening to me, but he's understanding what I'm, like, let's say what I'm experiencing or where I'm coming from. Yeah, and it gives you hope where there was none before. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, <laughs> there's one particular influence. Uh, I would usually have shied away from bringing it up, but I'll bring it up just for fun. Why not? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Whoa, so back in the day, mm-hmm. this is years ago. We're talking, how old am I? 28? <laughs> Let's say 10, more than 10 years ago, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not so great with. Uh, <laughs> the opposite gender ah. of females, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, like and many other uh, guys, uh, you know, struggled with that, yeah. right? So I was looking at resources that maybe could help me in mm-hmm. that particular area. Yeah, and you see all kinds, right? From the pickup artists mm-hmm. to the advice they give you in mainstream movies, mm-hmm. flowers, mm-hmm. da da da. Mm-hmm. I love you. I need you. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, don't leave, you know, um, from, uh, things you get from music and stuff like that. But I eventually, uh, went to, um, some, okay, so there's this, uh, company. Mm-hmm. It's called Real Social Dynamics, mm-hmm. RSD, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, the guy who heads it, his name is Owen Cook. Mm-hmm. And he is a dating coach, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is a good way to frame it. I think words are very important, how you define someone. Right. Uh, it can be... It's a very misunderstood topic, a lot of controversy actually around, you know, teaching men how to meet women, because from one level, if you're, uh, for example, if there's the kind of, like the pickup artist, mm-hmm. right, quote unquote, the manipulative uh, techniques and this and that and tactics, mm-hmm. um, I never resonated with that. On, on one level, yeah, it's interesting at first, you're like, oh, there's these things you can say and uh, great, okay. but. It doesn't really change who you are as a person. It's just like this little mask mm-hmm. or this just this thing that isn't you. It's like a it's like it's, say you did even use manipulation. Mm-hmm. After, okay, say you used all your techniques after that's done. What's left is that person who didn't change and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Um, so back to RSD, real social dynamics. Mm-hmm. There was this um, program I watched. Yes, this was um, early. No, this was like between 18 and 20. I can't remember the exact age I was. Mm-hmm. And it's called Blueprint Decoded. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to fully describe uh, what was in it, but there was this one part where he makes this distinction, which I had never made before in my life, mm-hmm. which I had never heard quite put this way, that when I heard it, mm-hmm. it it was like a paradigm changer. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, whoa. Uh, so he made this distinction between when you're quote-unquote in your head mm-hmm. and thinking and trying to fish out information mm-hmm. to to speak to someone to give them info mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to when you're 
outside of your head mm -hmm. and things are kind of just free flowing and uh, you're able to just uh, communicate in this kind of free flow way kind of this is kind of related to what we talked about in our first episode with flow state yeah. and he would uh, basically in the program talk about how to kind of get yourself into that flow state mm -hmm. and also these distinctions along with those techniques to kind of get yourself into the present moment mm -hmm. it was the first time I was ever exposed to anything like that mm -hmm. like it was it was intense like of course you could get this kind of info from other sources uh, like let's say an Alan Watts but I'll get to that um, yeah when I when Alan I Watts was my dating coach <laughs> Just Alan, I'm not, actually, actually that's not that crazy thing to say I think that's uh, that works but yeah like when when I uh, learned about it from uh, real social dynamics, like uh, these certain concepts, yeah, and they were by the way, this is like a they count as like a self help kind of a, mm -hmm. yeah uh, group. They're, they're not like officially an academic mm -hmm. source of information. I so yeah, if somebody is like listening to this and they're like, no, no, I'd like to stick stick uh, stick strictly to academic sources of info, mm -hmm. please do. I encourage that. Actually, I think that um, on one level, I think you should learn from everyone. Mm -hmm. Another level, I think you should just integrate um, everything in the, the smartest way possible. And a lot of it still, like, you should go back to academic sources to kind of you know, stick to, you know, qual you know information from qualified people. Mm -hmm. <coughs> but, um, yeah, when I learned from them uh, about being present to the moment, or ego, mm -hmm. ego, it's the first time I ever heard of this stuff. Okay. And I'm like, whoa, mm -hmm. whoa. And the way he talked about it, mm -hmm. the way he framed it, it was perfect for my map. Mm -hmm. It hit every single button that I needed to be hit mm -hmm. for me to understand that. Yeah. So that that was very interesting. And since we're actually on the topic of the present moment and all that, mm -hmm. another big influence was Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. Or Eckhart Tolle, yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Depends what country you're in. Mm -hmm. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> so I heard about the book Power of Now mm -hmm. from Blueprint. Yeah. So I decided okay I'm gonna read the book mm -hmm. by the way uh, just so everybody here knows and you as well I I didn't uh, I was never I didn't like reading mm -hmm. I hated reading I didn't understand it mm -hmm. I was like guys we have we have video games <laughs> we have, uh, we have, music. We have blunts video games we, what else uh, do we do we, we have like all these things uh -huh. you know uh, all these distractions yeah, yeah, yeah. and but I, I I guess at the time I didn't appreciate um, even though, like, the undertaking of reading a book is kind of this long-term process, there's not this short-term gratification that you can get mm -hmm. from a sound bite or this or that, yeah. that was, the, like, one of, not the first time, but one of the first few times that I, I said, no, uh, I'm going to read this book. Mm -hmm. One, because I was inspired by RSD to, you know, let's check it out. Let's learn about how to get into the present moment. What is this? What is this whole thing about? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I read the power now and as I'm reading it, um, well, I'm almost getting into the feeling as, as well as I'm talking about it. I actually, uh, the way that, uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, frames, um, your inner experience, like mm -hmm. what happens when you think about, uh, when you think about thinking, mm -hmm. right. And how thinking works for you and certain daily situations, how you might react, uh, to certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, the way he uh, talks about it, um, again, it was a way that I resonated with. Mm -hmm. um, let's say, 
here's a line that just popped up into my head. Mm -hmm. I feel bad. I almost wanted to have specific references, but maybe in the future. <laughs> but uh, one particular thing I, I remember right now is, uh, and this actually resonated with me, uh, when you're thinking about the past, mm -hmm. you're thinking about it now. Yeah. When you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about it now. Mm-hmm. However, the past has no reality of its own, and neither does the future, except right. as a thought form. Yeah. And put in that particular way, mm -hmm. again, it was like the first time hearing things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, yeah, wow, yeah, the past is a mental construct. Mm -hmm. The future is a mental construct. What is, what would be uh, quote-unquote real? Suppose whatever I'm directly experiencing at this moment. Mm -hmm. As I started to process that, slowly but surely, this was an instant. Like some stuff was instant. Yeah, you, you read the book. There are times you feel in the most uh, you feel the most euphoric. You feel great. You feel just it's fantastic because as you're reading, it kind of puts you in a certain state as you read. Mm -hmm. too. So that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but there were things also that slowly started to unravel for me. Like those things that I was very heavily attached to, uh, certain thoughts about the past mm -hmm. or anxiety about the future, yeah. it started to lose its hold on me. And I started to be able to actually uh, be there uh, in terms of um, maybe even interacting with someone. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, as we're speaking right now, I'm not fishing for any particular thoughts. The words are just coming out. Mm -hmm you may be able to tell that from the tone of my voice and how the words are coming out. Maybe if I was thinking about something, there would be little delays. Maybe, I don't know, depends on how our audience perceives right. this, but, but you're anyone who knows like micro behaviors. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, at least in this moment, I'm definitely in the now, quote mm -hmm. unquote. Yeah. And it's, it's so fascinating when you are aware of these things because because of the fact that it's not so mainstream, mm -hmm. we kind of just uh, go through the motions. Yeah. And it's all based on our uh, environment mm -hmm. and uh, nowadays social media, yeah. movies, this and that. that. Mm -hmm. But depending on the person, it's almost arbitrary the kind of influences that, that, uh, that reach them. Mm -hmm. And this can make all kinds of results as mm -hmm. far as uh, people are concerned. Right. <clears throat> all the way from the most extreme, uh, bad, uh, like, I don't know, somebody who uh, hates themselves, hates the world, this, that, and that. I'm sure that, that person exists. That's not out of the question to believe that that exists. Mm -hmm. All the way from there to a person who uh, maybe, uh, you know, um, I, don't, I mean, okay, whatever, loves everyone and right. all that. Right. Not that you have to love everyone or anything like mm -hmm. that. I'm not trying to say anything like that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we create all kinds of people based on the influences that they have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I feel like this particular influence, at least knowing about the present moment, yeah. doesn't have to be from Eckhart Tolle. doesn't have to be from us. doesn't have to be um, from uh, a Tim Ferriss or... Uh, who else talks? Do you know any particular um, uh, therapist or doctor? Yes, who talk John Kabat-Zinn. So he's the mindfulness, pretty much therapy or mindfulness meditation. Not therapy necessarily, but mindfulness meditation. He is the founder, if we can even call it that. Not even a founder. He's like the Alan Watts, right? Who sort of brought Eastern mysticism to America. But he's like a qualified person. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, he's a PhD. I think he's a clinical psychologist. Which is, yeah. by mm -hmm. the way, yeah. that's very important. Mm -hmm. That's super important because 
how should I put this? Yeah, there are certain influences, like, for example, the one I was talking about, Eckhart Tolle. Right. I think he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thing is, is he going to resonate with everyone? Right. It's actually, he speaks very practically. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems like somebody who comes from that spiritual world, mm-hmm. so it's not a, an academic at all. Right. However, um, believe it or not, yeah, his way of speaking is not very woo-woo at all. Mm-hmm. Uh Except for the times that it is, and then maybe somebody won't resonate with that. Right, and I, I think what you're also saying is that you don't sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you don't agree with a particular aspect of his philosophy, it doesn't mean that all of it is bunk. And That's I, true. Yeah, and I think we kind of see that with, let's say, even with Stoicism. And so I love, love, love Stoicism, right? Seneca. Yes, yeah, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, right? Epictetus. So the idea with Stoicism, and I'm sure obviously you know, and so like people there's a sort of a section of people who are like oh like this this is this is like you can't do this right it doesn't work you can't just make yourself not feel angry sad scared etc so not really the point of stoicism so when we talk about stoicism it's really this idea that let's say we can manage and control our emotions based on our own reason and that's what cognitive therapy is based on that's what rational emotive behavior therapy is based on and so essentially psychotherapy if you can kind of chalk it up into sort of one big school of philosophical thought can be traced back to stoicism and so the reason why i bring this up is that there are a lot of people who do the same thing where they don't like certain ideas in stoicism and they're like okay let's just throw it out so like grief right there's this idea that okay well you shouldn't really be upset if a person dies because obviously they're a human being and all human beings die so it doesn't really make much sense i get it i understand why that idea wouldn't resonate with many people mm-hmm. when i when i'm in session with my clients i don't say hey by the way Seneca said this thing you know you should really avoid. no i hear you yeah, yeah it's not gonna hit them the right way Right, and it's not, and technically, I don't even agree with that idea. First of all, not only philosophically, but psychologically speaking, you're supposed to grieve losses. So it's not a good idea. I don't agree with it. But as a whole, stoicism is actually phenomenal because what we do and what we teach in cognitive therapy is that you can use your reason to, let's say, take your anxiety or depression from, if we were to hypothetically give it a percentage, a 90 and a 95 to, let's say, maybe a 50 or a 60. And the point of that is, is that you're supposed to use your emotions. You're supposed to let's say be sad, you're supposed to be anxious, right? These aren't feelings that you're supposed to just kind of get rid of, and that's never the point. But what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to use them for something, right? For some sort of, let's say, hopefully some sort of change. Unless the feeling is grief, then you're unfortunately just, you have to go through it. But when it comes to kind of sadness and it comes to anxiety, you're asking yourself, okay, why am I feeling scared? What am I supposed to do to, let's say, reduce the emotion outside of kind of, you know, that rational aspect of, let's say, my psyche or me? And so the answer is usually, okay, I have to take these steps to make sure that I'm safe. And if I'm upset about something, right, how do I make sure that I'm not upset about it again? Or how do I make sure that I'm not upset about it now? But the point is, in these different schools of thoughts, right, just like, we, you know, last week we focused on utilitarianism and the ontology, right? So all of those schools of thoughts have holes in them, every single one of them. There's, philosophically speaking, you could sort of break any school of doubt, well, any aspect of a school of thought, not any aspect, that's wrong. So you could break down certain aspects of these schools of thought and say okay this is where it's bad or these are its flaws but to sort of just like with our cartel just to throw it away just because you don't believe with the spiritual aspect of it which obviously i don't i mean I, i'm an atheist i can't i think it's kind of i mentioned it not, it's not even um right. there's no religious flavor to that i hear you. it's it real i mean 
Let's stick to what you're saying, though. Yeah. I, I don't want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but my point is just not to throw everything away. Because I think, and especially with Eckhart Tolle, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of him, but I do like a lot of his ideas. And so my point is that sort of I incorporate these ideas. And just like when we talk about people who, let's say, inspired us. And so let's say, like, with Tupac, again. So I don't love everything about Tupac. There are things that he's done and said that I'm like, get the fuck out. Like, I definitely don't agree with it, and I would not do that myself. Not to say I'm perfect, right? But just to say, like, those behaviors, I definitely... I'm like that's not cool yeah so but the point is that i don't dislike him because of that which is what a lot of people do with certain readings with let's say certain philosophical systems what they do is they say okay this particular thing doesn't make sense or it's not true or it doesn't work let's get rid of all of it like with that cartel maybe oh well let's say he's let's say he's into eastern philosophy right and i'm an atheist and materialist so let's get rid of him that's no it doesn't work that way there's certain ideas that you can take out that will actually be sort of practically useful for your life yeah and um Let's see. Uh, one person I wanted to bring up. Well, actually, no, no, no. Sorry. Uh, to stick to stoicism for a second. Mm -hmm. um, Marcus Aurelius, uh, there's a quote I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, I don't remember it verbatim. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, you can't, even though you, you have no control over um, the things that happen, the events right. that occur, yeah. you do have control over your relationship to them, your yeah. interpretation of that right. particular instance. Mm -hmm. And that's where your power is. Yeah. And that's very, very interesting because a lot of things that happen to us, sometimes we just go with the motions. It's so automatic. Mm -hmm. You're caught up in the momentum of what's going on that you almost forget that, yeah. that you can do that. Mm -hmm. But when you remember these things or you're taught that or it's – again, like once upon a time, I would just – like I just said, go with the motions. Right. When I started to understand things like this, like that, you, your interpretation of things definitely inter like uh, affects how you're going to behave and yeah. how uh, this whole thing's going to go. Mm -hmm. It's it's very interesting. I suppose, um, let's say, uh, me and a friend had an uh, an argument um, about nothing special in particular. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess, uh, let's just say it was nothing big. I, I don't want to get into anything specific, but let's say um, it's something that uh, I decided to take very close like, to, to right. heart, and they did as well, mm -hmm. and then we decided not to speak. Mm -hmm. But that's, if you really broke it down, um, is, is that smart? Mm -hmm. Like, say, uh, what if I interpreted uh, that argument that we had as not that big of a deal, or perhaps there's a the way to go about it where this long-term relationship I have with my friend could be preserved mm -hmm. and I, don't, I could think about it differently. I'm and what if you misinterpreted the argument? What if I right. misinterpreted it? Right, because we do that all the time. Yeah. And then we get upset. And I can tell you this happens to me on the day. Oh, not on a daily basis, but definitely frequently enough. Where I'll say something. Yeah, and I'll say something and the person will say, oh, are you saying I'm stupid? Or are you saying I'm a liar? I'm like, I'm not saying any of those things. Right? So, But that's sometimes the interpretations that people take. And so interestingly enough, why, why again, obviously, I go to this because this is what I do for a living. And sort of this idea that comes from stoicism and from cognitive therapy is essentially that our core beliefs impact the way we see the world. They, um, what's the word? They color it, they inform it, whatever term you want to use. So it's like, if I believe, let's say I'm a liar, if I believe I'm stupid, if, let's say, I believe I'm not a good friend, honestly, so if I believe I'm a bad 
bad person. What that's going to do is, in terms of the way our brain works, is it's going to allow us, or it's going to cause us, rather, to interpret the world or interpret what people say to us in a particular way. So if, let's say, a person says to me, let's say your friend, so they say to me, you know what, I'm really mad at you, and my belief is that I'm a bad friend or that I'm a bad person, and my interpretation is, wow, he hates me. Or he thinks I'm a bad person, or he thinks I'm a bad friend, of course. Mm -hmm. So the thing is for us, it's like the way sometimes scientists do, and I'm not saying all scientists are even close to do to this, do this, but some do, that they cherry pick information to prove their beliefs, right? And sometimes, and a lot of times they actually don't know that they're even doing this. But because of confirmation bias, what we do is we tend to sort of not necessarily say I'm going for this information, but we literally focus on information that proves our beliefs and filter away sort of all of the things that are inconvenient to us. And so when we talk about this idea of, let's say, of interpreting, it's always informed. Well, not always. I'm mean, not say that. If it's rational, if it fits reality, then the interpretation is correct. But if it's informed by our core beliefs, a lot of times what happens is we overreact. Like, he's saying I'm a bad friend. He's offended me. He said I'm an idiot. He said I'm stupid. And if you actually, let's say, if we were to rewind that conversation and you were to actually listen to what that person said, not only was it likely that that wasn't said, obviously depending on who your friend is, but it's also likely that that wasn't even implied. But your interpretation was essentially colored by this core belief of I'm an idiot or I'm this or I'm that so we have to be really careful with our thinking yeah and and at that at those points we we tend to react yeah and just kind of go with that but if if we had the what's a good word uh, if we had impulse control mm -hmm. Uh, pre oh, okay, prefrontal cortex right. that's in charge just, of your person just be really careful with that too so just for the simple fact that sometimes we think like Let's say, oh, it's biological, right? I have no impulse control, so therefore I react this way, and therefore we kind of excuse it away. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 because, I mean, you can develop impulse control. That's the point of cognitive therapy. So yeah. your behaviors change your brain, right? Your brain alters or affects your behaviors, and sort of it exists in the cycle. So it's not like a person has poor impulse control, and that's it, right? It doesn't, no, it's yeah. something that can be yeah, just, developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, for me, for instance, I had poor impulse control. I'd be very reactive once right. upon a time. Uh, built it up, whether it's through um, understanding, like from this, the kind of stuff that we're speaking about now, yeah. uh, and also through practice. Yeah. Right? Um, what helps? Oh, yeah. Huh? Like, what techniques help for you, like to practice, in well, terms of like reducing impulse control? So, uh, there would be times when I would actually spend the whole day um, paying attention to my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so, I would, uh, the attempt was to be present to the moment, meaning like, uh, just, uh, for instance, uh, oh, uh, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I don't want to mess with the sound or whatever. <laughs> I'm touching this mic and yeah. then it would be all about, like, okay, <laughs> this is weird. I don't want to get too weird, but like, very Buddhist, <laughs> but I would, um, I would, <laughs> I would like really pay attention to my direct experience right, right, right. and also any particular thoughts I had during the day and kind of, um, let as much as possible, try to just let them uh, pass and go. Mm -hmm. um, one particular uh, quote I'm going to paraphrase is, uh, I think it's Alan Watts said it, mm -hmm. something about um, your uh, mind is like the sky and your thoughts are like the clouds and you, you let the clouds just kind of yes go through just sort of allow them to come and go yeah to come yeah. and go so and interestingly enough and I'm sorry I don't mean to continue. no go ahead so, yeah, I was kind of yeah no but I want to definitely go back to your techniques but just I think this is a really important point that Alan Watts made and we also use this in therapy obviously so but this is more so along the lines of acceptance and commitment therapy but even still this is actually really sort of um, or it can be used it doesn't matter in any form of therapy where so 
if you actually accept your interpretations, whether of yourself, whether of the other person, right, or let's say of the world around you, if they are negative, right, and you accept them as fact, what happens is they intensify and they persist. You essentially feed into them. So people often think that they're controlled by their brains and they're controlled by their beliefs. And it's actually the opposite. It's not the case, right? Or at least it doesn't have to be. So if, let's say, you have a particular belief that, let's say, I'm worthless or I'm, let's say, a, whatever it is, right? I'm a bad friend. I'm a bad person. So if you do what Alan Watts said, right? If you just sort of allow it as a cloud to kind of come and go, right? It's just another feeling and it's just another thought. Or rather, it's a thought connected to a feeling, right? So I'm angry. I'm sad because I feel X. Okay, so you allow it to come and go. But if you accept it as a fact, what happens is that it intensifies that feeling, right? The thought is, the belief is strengthened, and then it persists. So, for instance, um, this is why uh, understanding plus techniques is yeah. interesting. So, from the, uh, the, <laughs> or the understanding aspect of yeah. it, let's say we go back to, let's say, Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. So, um, that idea that uh, your thoughts are a mental construct, that there's no reality to it mm -hmm. in other I mean in the sense that <clears throat> how do I put this if, if you're like it's not like your thoughts are real like if you think of an apple mm -hmm. it's not the physical apple if you think of honey right. you can't taste it you can't mm -hmm. you know interact with it it's not real in that sense right it's it's interesting like for example if I had a thought like like what you said like oh I'm a bad friend or something like that mm -hmm. I wouldn't even acknowledge it as a real thought. Okay. Which is um, also part of why I, from that understanding aspect, would be able to, when practicing it, mm -hmm. allow it to pass through. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, for me, uh, things like that kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, it's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing that was interesting to me, um, once upon a time, I had some uh, addictive behaviors. Uh, let's relate it to food, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Other things as well, but let's say to food. Um, there's this uh, interesting uh, quote, uh, or yeah, it's Alan Watts again. And um, let's see. Uh, if you're trying to outwit the devil, mm -hmm. don't give him any advanced notice. Now, what does that mean? Why did he say that? Mm -hmm. uh, so. Let, okay, so he was talking about uh, drinking, alcoholism. Mm -hmm. He's like, if you decided not to drink, the best way not to drink is, instead of thinking about it, is the immediate decision not to drink mm -hmm. without any particular deliberation prior to doing that. Mm -hmm. This way you don't give the devil, a.k.a. the ego, right. a.k.a. Not AKA your mind, but he's referring to the thoughts yeah, yeah. that you have. Your conscious side. Not to mm -hmm. not to give yourself any advance notice because that kind of um, messes with your decision process. Mm -hmm. um, things like that resonated with me because, uh, like, the decision not to drink mm -hmm. is not something I have to think about. I just have to not drink, which is easier said than done. But it's strange in practice. Um, if you try to just do the action, uh, and I suppose try to cut out any particular thoughts about it, mm -hmm. which is, it's a, it's a process. Yeah. Uh, I was able to do it, and I am able to do it with certain things. Mm -hmm. So it does work. Mm -hmm. That's true. So you uh, is it easy? No. So yeah. you would make your decision in the moment, like in terms of let's say combating your impulses. So yeah. So mm -hmm. let's say for instance, uh, lately I've been. Um, paying attention to the food I'm eating mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. 
um, instead of, uh, so what I did for a while was uh, when I first made the decision to eat well, mm -hmm. I did critically think about what am I supposed to eat, what are uh, macronutrients, this, this, and this, yep. supplements, yada, 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 working out, all these things I have to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. And through sheer willpower, I engaged in uh, the actions that, that were uh, helpful to me. And then um, over time built up the habit and then it became kind of second nature. Yeah. Um, however, uh, there was a point in this process when I started to even, let's say I'd go to work, mm -hmm. I'd be thinking about how I'm supposed to be eating for that day. Right. And actually it would kind of psych me out and I'd end up not eating the way I uh, it would have intended to uh, normally, right. ideally. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I went back to this idea of just making the decision, like not to have any thoughts prior about mm -hmm. it and just decide, okay, I'm just gonna eat the healthy thing immediately. Mm -hmm. it, it, like for instance, uh, at home, uh, I don't have any, uh, and this took a while to do because habits, tongue wire habits, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely doable. It just takes a little bit of time, but it definitely is yeah. possible. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, when I gave up drinking soda, one thing that helped me was not to have soda in the house. Right, the right? temptation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or to have certain kinds of foods in the house. Mm -hmm. So this way I would surround myself with uh, whatever it is that's uh, that I need to be eating. Mm -hmm. So this way, at least when I made the decision to uh, eat, it's easier because everything's there already. Mm -hmm. um, to order food or something like that takes a little bit extra effort. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It's like you almost uh, yeah. play this game with yourself where you, you set up and things. It, and, yeah. and I think you have to. So, yeah. so and it's so interesting because like uh, sometimes I have clients who come about like because they want to get rid of certain obsessions or compulsions. And so they say, well, I don't want to go about it like the sort of the cheap way. And I'm like, what's the cheap way? And it's something like that, like sort of reducing the temptation. But... <sighs> See, and that's sort of based on this erroneous concept that we have of free will. It's like we're pure free will, right? Our biology is really irrelevant. And if we just want something, we'll just stop ourselves to sort of sheer determination and resolution from doing it. Not how it works to be a human. No, if you look <laughs> right. at research, um, yeah. there's research about uh, decision fatigue. Mm -hmm. And usually in the morning when you wake up, that's mm -hmm. when you have the most willpower. Yeah. And then towards the end of the day, mm -hmm. especially at the very end of the day, the willpower is not so great. Yeah. So for instance, um, going back to the food thing, at least in my particular journey with it, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, any I would be great for most of the day. Then when it come to nighttime, I'm back home. Mm -hmm. uh, even if I made the decision earlier in the day, oh no, no, I'm gonna eat healthy today. For some reason I'll have still that impulse to just eat the tasty thing, the short-term gratification, yeah. and I will. Uh, I've I've many times failed due to that decision fatigue mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So I had to set up my circumstances in a way, uh, while knowing that I I have that. Well, actually, that we all experience that, but that it, in my particular case, that I have that happen. Right. So um, yeah, but also uh, to make the decision. Um, back to what I was saying about like automatically choosing what's right. It's like, mm, say, say somebody who's watching, um, let's say this is one of the first times they heard about, uh, uh, the present moment or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you've been listening to the show, it's not, mm -hmm. but say this is the first time hearing it, mm -hmm. uh, or how to get into the, the moment, how to be present, mm -hmm. uh, or, uh, uh be mindful. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose that would be the first place to start. Mm -hmm. 
and then when you make certain decisions without that uh, without thoughts kind of getting in the way it has to be kind of from that mindful space um otherwise yeah i don't know anytime i've been caught up in the momentum of my thoughts um it's it's rough sometimes to make the uh ideal right decision Mm -hmm. yeah um even for instance um before we ever started uh filming the podcast uh when i first heard the when like you brought up like hey let's do a podcast um, I, on one level, I'm like, yeah, that's really interesting. This is different. It's novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely, it's it's a step. It feels like a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It felt like. Also, when I thought about like, oh, oh this is like my purpose. <laughs> this totally aligns with my yeah, yes. Right. But then there was another side of me that's like, ah, oh, it's something new. Scary. Uh, resistance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Something. I don't know how this is gonna go. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, I kind of had to use what we're talking about now that 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 this that ability to just just do it mm-hmm. just do it don't think about it uh like any like any extra any extra thoughts about it yeah. um that was actually helpful in my particular case because in other cases in my life there were times where i've just not taken the appropriate action right. based on that resistance mm-hmm. and then would rationalize in all sorts of ways uh, why oh, it was a good decision. I love that. Backwards so, rationalization. Yes. Yeah. And so what you're saying, and I think it ties in so well to that Alan Watts quote, is that the ego at certain times, back to our episode about being your own enemy. It is our worst enemy. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. I love that. And mm-hmm. uh, what's now that actually we're talking about backwards rationalization for a second there, mm-hmm. um, if in case anyone who's uh, listening doesn't know what that is, uh, to feel good about our emotionally motivated actions uh, we tend to invent reasons after the fact that support the actions that we uh, took. So, for instance, um, if I, uh, let's say last night, mm-hmm. uh, I'll make an admission here as far as the food thing is concerned. For the first part of the day, I was great. I did my intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, whatever. And then later in the day, it's time to eat. Um, I decided to order my favorite thing, chicken parm. Oh, you love chicken parm. I love chicken parm. <laughs> it is a guilty pleasure. And yes, I did work out also. Uh-huh. I did bad stuff. But the food is not necessarily the ideal food. Right. So after I ate it, I, I what did I do? I backwards rationalized mm-hmm. and I said, oh, no, it's okay. I worked out today. Right, right, right. It's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the meat in here, that's protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, carbs, well, I've been on a low-carb thing anyway, yeah. so that gives me energy. That maybe I didn't have enough energy. And I'm not joking. Yeah. This is literally what yeah. I thought. I'm making fun of it, yeah. but it, it it's is true. true. We, do, we do that, yeah. We do that for our sort of morals or our behaviors too, right? It's like, oh, okay. maybe at first if we feel sort of, let's say, this ambivalence about something and we make a decision that we later maybe regret, we tend to rationalize backwards and say, hey, you know what? It actually makes sense in this context because X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, especially with like relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people will double down yeah. instead of... Um, go back and maybe say maybe this wasn't a good rationalization mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's actually, yeah, that's, a, that's very fascinating. I don't know, that makes me want to think for an extra second there. But uh, how that, like, in my life 
Yeah, that works. But that's and it's so and it's so cool to tie that into a, the episode from three episodes or two episodes ago with the sort of that kind of ego, the devil, whatever you want to call it, being your own worst enemy. Because we do this a lot to ourselves. We sabotage ourselves. We sabotage our relationships. And it's literally because we have so much time to think, and we just literally overthink things. And so I really like that idea of just sort of going about and doing things. And often in my life, that's what I actually do. So like I've struggled with an anxiety disorder. I think since I was like since I could walk if not before that and so for me the thing that actually works is not so much sitting there and doing the thought record which definitely has its purposes at various points in my life but it's actually just going about and making the decision and just doing it and I often tell people that it's like if you're afraid just do it like literally just go and do it like if you know somewhere in the back of your mind that the worst case scenario is not that bad right so there is some obvious thought that has to go into it you can't just do something like you know terrifying but if you know like okay my anxiety says one thing right but sort of the rational part of my brain says another than just do it and just see what happens mm-hmm. and uh yeah just like shia labeouf said just do it right no no, no but uh, <laughs> yeah that's not like uh copywritten <laughs> just right, do it, it. right um but uh yeah uh when for, for example uh i was just thinking about this uh back in the day going back to anxiety uh, whenever i'd be on the train let's say going to uh, college the mm-hmm. hunter um there i couldn't like I had so much tension just being around other people. Mm-hmm. I could I would twitch if yeah. I'm looking at people. I would have like a physical reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, there was too much going on. I couldn't relax. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But then when I started to uh, learn about um, I don't know how many times we've already I've already said this, but mm-hmm. like you know being present to the moment and stuff mm-hmm. and practicing that, um, I would do things like let's say I'm on the train. I would try to pay attention to my breath. Mm-hmm. Like in at like fully, fully like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, sometimes uh, music try to go yeah. fully into whatever music I listen to. Inspirational music. Wow, yeah. you know, you know what just popped up in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, music, yes. Yeah. So, when I would uh, back in the day, especially with anxiety, when I uh, would first go to the gym, mm-hmm. which also I didn't go all the time, but that was a whole process. That's a different conversation. But mm-hmm. um, when I did go, and I would let's say run. Mm-hmm. I would listen to music, mm-hmm. and while I was listening to the music, um, I don't know how this. So uh, first, I'll say this: uh, I would think of different images, or let's say I'm listening to like a cool metal song, mm-hmm. and I'm imagining like I would, uh, especially after I learned about the ego. And this is not correct. I'm not suggesting for anyone to do this because if you really think about it, you shouldn't do mm-hmm. this. But I would imagine I'm fighting the ego mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's like Alan versus Dark Alan okay. or something like mm-hmm. that. It's kind of cool. You versus you, like Rocky says. No, no, but right. it was like you know, like uh, anime car- cartoonish mm-hmm. levels of fighting. Right. How they would like, yeah, 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 really yeah. super fast. Yeah. Was, I would imagine stuff like that while listening to music. Mm-hmm. It was one. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I would get into a flow state, which at the time I didn't know that's what right. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I was just like, oh, this is the runner's high. Everyone's talking about it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I started getting addicted to that feeling. Yeah. I'm like, this is great. And um, why did I bring it up? Well, you know, uh, probably because if uh, if anyone's uh, listening and maybe let's say, um, uh, I, I think music is actually a good way to um, get you out of your head. Yeah. Um, especially if it's something you, of course, if you really like, you really resonate with, mm-hmm. or a song that might give you goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I think listening to that kind of stuff, and, and or going into, um, or listening to sources, or watching sources, or reading sources that bring you into that state, mm-hmm. 
as much as possible would really mess up that like any kind of negative momentum in mm -hmm. someone's life. Mm -hmm. It definitely did for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, it was a long, long unraveling process or an unlearning process. Now I'm thinking about Yoda from Star Wars. He's like, you must unlearn what yeah, you have learned. That's true, right? Yeah. Get rid of the habits. The habits of thinking, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yes. Well, no, I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank you, thank you, because I, I started to lose the thread. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, what's so cool is that, like, you know, sort of, if we think about the people who've inspired us most, I think that they're the people who've taught us to think and to sort of behave in a better way and to make our lives obviously much better, right? So it's not so much what well, it is; it's that that we've identified with them and you know we've identified with their struggles and said to ourselves at least, you know, okay, like this is how I feel, right? And this person understands me. But it's also this is how this person has helped me, let's say, live a better and happier life and I could tell you of all the figures that have inspired me right as a lot of them obviously are going to be therapists right or Vialam who was my favorite one of my I think I read seven of his books at this point my favorite therapist ever he's an existential psychotherapist his way of thinking completely changed my life and I mean I've even written a blog about it that's how much I love the guy wow. yeah so um, him Albert Ellis obviously the founder of REBT right for you Eckhart Tolle Alan Watts and for us the thinkers they've inspired us to such an extent where they've literally we can say this even beyond their graves right well except for Yalom, Yalom, thankfully, is still alive, right? They've inspired us to live happier lives because, like, I can't imagine what my life would have been like had I not read these people's books, right? And obviously, had they not been inspired by their own thinkers, right? And had sort of, let's say, this lineage had not been taken back to, let's say, ancient philosophy, where a long time ago, these, you know, these dudes in Greece and Rome said, hey, you know what? We can actually change our lives by changing our thinking and our way of sort of behaving or our way of acting toward the world. I mean, like, I think it's just pretty amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the figures that we were inspired by were inspired by them. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating because it's like this, um, even though, yes, it's generational, and it, it is interesting that you, you're like, no, uh, uh, this has been taught throughout the ages. So um, back to what we were kind of talking about at the beginning, like trying to make this more of a mainstream thing. Right. Um, I feel it, it's interesting. I, I, again, with the advent of the internet, with podcasts, with the ability to, if if you resonate enough with the people that you're speaking with, yeah. it's it's interesting the kind of influence that you can put out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very interested in seeing what happens, mm, not just 10, let's say 20 years from now, mm -hmm. what the internet does uh, to people as far as um, making the most... Um, essential knowledge mm -hmm. uh, widely accessible yeah. for instance um, the internet is still not everywhere in the world right. um, that's fascinating to me because once let's say once it is mm -hmm. um, if we can get to that I think it's possible yeah. um, also we should respect certain I, I, I don't think it sh maybe should be everywhere right we should respect um, nature and still have certain environments that are yeah. natural but barring that um, yeah, uh, certain, like, let's say, um, you know, he's a great, uh, Rogan, Joe Rogan, yeah. right? He's, uh, to me, he's a very interesting example because he's, uh, uh, mostly if you really analyze him, 
he is a very balanced thinker. Mm-hmm. If he hears anything that opposes his view, mm-hmm. uh, he he's actually very interested in learning why. Mm-hmm. He's, oh, as Stephen Covey would put it in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. he will seek first to understand, right. then to be understood. Yeah. Um, that's also not something that he originated, mm-hmm. uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Right. Said, Again, uh, the lineage. Yeah, right. But that's fine. But. Mm-hmm. And uh, supposed to be popular, right? I and technically, I mean, no ideas are really original in any kind of sense, right? I think what people do, not even often, right? What they first do is they take these ideas and they sort of bring them in the, or they put them in a way that's more easily digestible. But then what they do is usually they add on to them, right? So there's this really great episode, and uh, you know, kind of for lack of time, I'm not going to go too deep into it. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> so, I didn't even know yeah. how much time was going by. Yeah. So I mean, it's called the Creative Brain, right? And it's, um, I think it was a PBS special. And so what the author there argues, I did. Who was it? I think it was David Eggleman who was on it. So he's a neuroscientist. And so he argues essentially, and various people in the show argue the same thing, is that ideas aren't essentially original, right? Sort of people take them and they sort of add on to them or they sort of, you know, kind of alter them in some sort of way, right? Based on the information that they have, right? Based on associations that their brains are making from other things that they've learned. But the sort of the point is that nothing really is original, which is kind of cool, right? Because in a way, this ties us back to Plato, to kind of St. Augustine, right? To St. Francis. And I mean, I think it's really cool in terms of kind of what we're doing here it's because if you think about it right we are the sort of progeny in some sort of sense of these people and that's i mean that's pretty cool just to be a part of so um and also um i i kind of i feel the vibe of like we're we're probably ending we gotta wrap up (laughs) so let's just let me put this out there um because I feel like I could actually talk about this all day. Yeah. I actually would want to do a part two to this one day because okay. there's actually, whoa, there's a lot of yeah. ideas percolating, uh-huh. circulating rather. Um, and percolating. And percolating. Good terms. And Too percolating. Good uh-huh. um, I have this concept. Yeah, this, this idea. idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like uh, figures who've uh, also inspired me, I just want to put it out there because I, I kind of only, what, talked about two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Um and again, we'll, because in the interest of time, fine, I'll, I'll talk about it on another episode, but I'll just say their names. Uh, Nietzsche, I like Sam Harris. Uh, yeah, he's a good thinker. He's, I like him a lot. Uh, he's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, as, contra- as controversial as it may be, only from his clinical perspective, mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson, only, and I understand that's controversial. Mm-hmm. He's not saying it, I'm saying <laughs> it, so if anyone has any backlash, it's for me, so I'll take it. Um but yeah, again, not political, just this clinical. Right, no, I hear you. Um, not throwing the baby out with the bathroom. No, he's yeah. like I really like his the way he speaks and the way he outlines his thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's one. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, I was looking at I'm looking at a list here that <laughs> I have a few full. Uh, Bruce Lee. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce Lee is a good thing. Bruce Lee was yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I like that he was talking about how like you, you shouldn't put limits on anything you do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you should, you know, always strive to kind of go past them. Yeah, and in terms of mental health, is the greatest statement that he ever had was literally to be like water. And so, I mean, as kind of when we talk about it as mental health practitioners, what we try to tell our clients is that the sign, the sort of epitome of mental health, is being able to adapt to one's circumstances. Be like water. That's right. You right. put water into cup, it becomes right. the cup. It becomes the cup in some way. Water right? into a tea kettle. Yeah, the tea there you kettle. go. The point is it adapts, right? Because the thing is a lot of where, and this is a whole show in itself. Yeah, see, uh, yeah. it's lo- interesting. Right. right, a lot of our suffering comes from our resistance to life, right? Yeah. So not to say that you can't be upset, not to say you can't be angry, not to say you can't be sad, but the point is you can't get trapped in those emotions. Because once you do that and you say, no, I want the world to be the way I want it to be, right? You're going to be miserable like that. So it's like that anger, that sadness, let's 
and maybe even the fear, right? You're essentially prolonging it by saying, nope, I'm not going to change anything. The world has to adapt to me, which is why you have to be like water. Yeah, running right. water doesn't go stale. Right, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's, that's, that's something that... Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah. Wow, I like that. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if it's uh, still, yeah. it becomes kind of uh, dirty and muddy. Yeah. But when it runs, right. it's nice. Right. Um, All right, guys. So, any yeah. final... Fair enough. Fair Come enough. on, we gotta... <laughs> it's already that time. All right, so, guys, um, it, was, it was a pleasure talking about what inspires us with you yeah. uh, i think we can definitely talk about more about that on another episode um i believe we have a guest coming up next week look look forward to that yeah so we have jesse Manisto of third factor magazine who is a former cia agent and also on top of that she is the former editor of democratic left which is the official magazine of the democratic socialist of america that's right yeah and uh i guess um hmm, would you want to promote anything uh, I think we've done enough from out already. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, guys, then uh, see you next time. It was fun and have a great day. Yeah.